hope you'll really like Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USA with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love 33. you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean right? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the, okay. Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Sports. We start March. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Right. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? That's really a good one. Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. As the man says, welcome into the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your host for this week, Chris Swanson. I'm joined by the Trojansports.com beat writer and uh, super professional, Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you? I'm disoriented. I I didn't realize that you weren't going to be Chris Morales when you said hello to me. Well, I'm just doing my best Chris Morales impression. You know, I I figured why not. It's not a good impression at all, but I figured why not give this hosting thing a try? Why not try something new? Why not give the Ron Burgundy thing a shot, you know, try to stumble through some uh, some teleprompters and, and do my thing. So whatever. I'm okay. trying to trying the Chris Morales deal out a little bit, going to host. Yeah, scary. Okay, well. It is scary. We are, yeah, we're going to uh, change up the podcast a little bit. Um, a lot's happened since we recorded together um, a week ago, I did a podcast with USC safety, Chris Hawkins. And I want to thank a lot of you because uh, I never gotten that much feedback and that positive feedback for, I think anything I've ever done in my entire life. And so um, maybe I should have my, my family listen to that one, but I uh, really appreciate the, the kind words of support um, a lot of it was really directed toward Chris Hawkins, who is a uh, is a first class interviewer. Really good, really honest, really candid. If you didn't catch that one, I recommend going back and listening to it. We talked about the Rose Bowl and the last four years that he's been there, and uh, we talked about spring football as well. It was a good preview for that, and so. We're still early in spring football as we record this. It's Wednesday evening after uh, between day one and day two of spring practice. And so um, we're not going to do a big preview here, but we are going to obviously talk about what's going on and uh, what's going to be happening in the coming weeks here with USC football. But before we get into that, we're going to begin with a segment called The Week That Was. And uh, we're going to touch upon a few things that have happened in the past week or so with USC or indirectly related to USC. 
um, and just give our give our give our take on these things. Let's begin with the NFL Combine. What what would you think about what happened uh, in Indianapolis in regard to the USC? Uh, I thought that Adoree Jackson was a bright spot, and outside of that, I, I thought that there were some disappointments. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster did pretty much what was expected, but uh, you know, I thought the offensive lineman uh, disappointed big time. Uh, I thought, you know, slow forty times uh, just seemed like they're kind of out of shape. Uh, didn't didn't lift too well, and and you know, a couple other guys, uh, Darius Rogers, sort of a disappointment too. So. I don't know. I don't really know what to take away from this combine. Obviously, if you look at Adoree Jackson, you know, that's a, that's a big positive for USC. He really showed out. But everybody else is kind of, uh, you know, right at expectations or sort of below, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people are wondering why they didn't perform well because a lot of the players that went out there are great athletes. Now, some of these guys – Maybe they didn't, you know, have the career that they had because they weren't as good of an athlete. And, and maybe it was more about skill and, and technique. But we know that some of these guys are some of the best athletes in the country. USC regularly gets to people. And I had someone um, who covered the NFL pretty closely tell me over the weekend in regard to USC and, and what, what happened that uh, this might fall on agents and the respective agencies that they signed. Realize that USC, of these players have, you know, been out of USC's hands for two months. And so while we might want to attribute some of this to the strength and conditioning or the coaching that they received, and I understand why, why people would would look toward that. What this person told me was when you sign, it's really up to that agent or that agency to direct you to the right people in terms of training and preparing for the specific drills that you're going to be doing at the combine. It's no secret what they have to do there when they get there. They know it and they have two months to prepare for it. But they're on their own. And I, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't really following what they were doing over the course of January and February. So I don't know exactly what went wrong or, or where the, or why they fell short. But, uh, before you point fingers at USC, you have to remember that they're no longer active players. They're no longer in the hands of that coaching staff anymore. And so uh, it was disappointing because the moment that they leave USC, we're always wishing the best for them in the NFL. And we get to cover a lot of these kids for the duration of their careers. And whatever happened at USC, good or bad, you hope that they make it in the NFL. And I think that some of them saw their draft stock fall quite a bit. I think with a Dory, he's probably locked into the second round. Um, he probably needed a break 4-4 in the 40 to get that first round attention that 
I think, was out there for him. I wouldn't be surprised. I know this doesn't happen often, but maybe he'll run the 40 again at Pro Day because he ran a, what, a 4-4-3? Or was it a 4-4-2? It was one of the two. can't remember at the yeah. very moment. I don't but, remember either. But I know that that's not what he wanted to run. It, 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 it's not a bad run, but I know that he's not satisfied by that 40. Um, there were a handful of cornerbacks that did best him in that run and, and broke 4-4. And and some of them were, were bigger. I think a lot of them were bigger. Um, Adori measured in at 510, I think like 186. And so, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you ran the 40 again. We'll see. I mean, that will probably come down to what advice he gets about pro day and what he should do and shouldn't do. So maybe they're they're comfortable with that, but... I think that it does keep him out of the first round. And not because I think it should. I mean, people, I think, make way too much about the 40 and not enough about the cape. I think on cape, if you want to use Dory as a multifaceted player, if you're going to include him on returns and maybe a little bit on offense and at corner, to me, he's clearly a first-round talent. But if he's just going to be a quarterback, then I don't see him going in the first round. And so that, that's what remains to be seen, um, what NFL teams think of him and how they want to use him. But it could, there could be that, that one or one or two teams that is open to using him in multiple roles, and then I could see him going at the end of the first round. But uh, he, he didn't, again, he didn't jump out of the building either on a vertical and uh, that, that 40, I don't think, was high enough for him to get in the first round. I think Juju as well probably locked himself into the second round with his 40. So beyond that, we'll see what happens with the rest of these guys. Um, I, I said beforehand that I thought six of them were a lot to be drafted. I was including the linemen, obviously, Banner and Wheeler, and I think Damian Mamman as well. And then Stevie Kuiko of Aku. Um, right now, I still think that all six of them will get drafted. I, I don't think that Darius Rogers will get drafted. And with Justin, he's not a lock. I think he could get drafted. But people are really funny with running backs nowadays. And while he, he has, a, I think, he doesn't have as much credit in his tires as others, and that could work to his advantage. At the same time, there are going to be questions about his durability. So I just don't know if he'll get drafted. I think the other six will get drafted. Yeah, I'm with you. I totally agree. Nice short answer, too, to uh, start off our <laughs> our segment here. So Okay. All right, well, here's something I know you don't want to talk about. Um, USC basketball, they, uh, as, as we record this, they just concluded their first-round Pac-12 tournament game with Washington. Kind of a funky game. They fell behind by double digits early, rallied back, took a double-digit lead themselves, and then didn't play so well 
at the end of the game, which has been a common thing for them. But they won the game. They did win. I think they punched their ticket into the NCAA tournament. I thought they were they were already in before, but if there was any doubt, they're in now. They're, they're going to be in. They're 24-8, and eight, and uh, I think the committee will will look at that record and it will suffice for them. But they're going to play UCLA on Thursday. They might have already played them by the time you hear this, but I think that game is really important just for them, not so much for their seeding, not to get in the tournament. I I believe they're already going to be in the NCAA tournament. But they need to beat good teams on the road because that's, that's what you have to do in the NCAA tournament. And as we've mentioned here before, they don't do that. In fact, what's their signature win in the Andy Enfield era? What's the best win that they've they've had in the entire four years? Beating UCLA at the Galen Center this year? Yeah, it, it would have to be that. And that's kind of nullified by the fact that they played them again a month later and got beat by 30. So, whatever. I, they just, I think they need to play well versus UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament. And I, I feel like I can't even take them seriously unless they were able to win that game. If they were able to win that game, then I'm thinking, oh, are they capable of getting into the Sweet 16? Can they win a couple games and make a little run in the NCAA tournament? But if they get blown out by UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament, then then you just expect them to lose in the NCAA tournament in the first round. And if they win, you're surprised, but you know that they, they're not going to win a, a second game. That's kind of how I see this. What about you? I kind of see this season as like the movie Old Yeller, watching it for like, you know, the third or fourth time when you know the dog's <laughs> going to get shot at the end. And you're just waiting wow. for it to happen. They're a ten and eight team in conference. UCLA is going to destroy them. Uh, they're just going to destroy them in the Pac-12 tournament. And if USC makes the NCAA tournament, which I think they will, as you do, they're going to get knocked out in the first round because they went ten and eight in conference, and they're not a good basketball team. And I'm just sick of talking about it, as you mentioned earlier. So that's all. That's all I okay. have to say about it. I mean, really, like, they, they yeah. almost lost to Washington tonight. Washington's one of the worst basketball teams in, like, Pac-12 history, maybe. I mean, really, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. Well, Washington so, without Markel Fultz. Yes, yeah. that's, well, th- this Washington team that they beat by, like, four points or whatever it was is right. really, and, really bad. So. And Washington was, uh, they, they're on a 12-game moving streak to end the year. So, yeah, they ended it with a 13-game losing streak, and USC beat them by, like, three or whatever. So Five. 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 Whatever. Same thing. Yeah. I also point out, too, that when they get away from the Galen Center, just point this out again, because, you know, they're not at the Galen Center for this Pac-12 tournament. They're still close to it, right? They're, <laughs> they're not that far away from it. Washington had to travel much further, but they're still very yeah. shaky. Like, the second they get away from home, they're very, very shaky. That doesn't yeah. bode well for tournament play. This isn't going right. to end well. No, I think that's exactly right. I was actually going to make that same point. 
the NCAA tournament is in that Galen Center. If it were, then maybe they'd be the favorite to win the title now. But uh, no, they wouldn't. I, I know I'm just kidding, but <laughs> but I don't I don't I just don't get it. I mean, their defense really struggles the moment that they leave, and then you just don't shoot as well on the road. Most, most everyone doesn't, but they they seem to sometimes just you know collapse offensively as well. So you can't trust them leaving home basically. No, and you know, can I just say too is that the worst thing that could happen to this team is that they get into the NCAA tournament. <laughs> That's really how I feel. No, I, I'm serious. If they had lost to Washington and maybe they got forced to go to the NIT, I think that'd be uh-huh. very positive for the program because then you're in a tournament that you can actually win, and it teaches the team how to win a tournament, how to win away from home. You know, against some teams that aren't great, obviously, but you know are on your level. And that's kind of the step that USC needs to take, I think, is they need to be able to beat teams that are, you know, about, you know, the same as them talent-wise on the road. And I think the NIT would help them learn that. In the NCAA tournament, they're going to go into it, and in the first round, they will get destroyed, and there's no learning experience there. Okay. I didn't want to interrupt you, but you're a moron. That's nonsense. Uh, Oh, Wow. They, I'm talking about the need future to to, of the program, though. Yeah, not I, like I, this I year doesn't matter. It doesn't here, matter. Here's how you fix your future: you schedule competitively in the non-conference schedule. I, That's you, what you do. I agree with that. So. Yeah, which I mean, you, I, I get that they can't control that at this very second, but I don't think they're better off in the NIT because you know, and as I know, they weren't going to win the NIT. They weren't going to no. go if they fell into the NIT and win it. So you act like they would go there and they would run the table in the NIT. That ain't happening either. So they no, but well they would go NCAA further. Tournament. They would go no, further they, than they would in the NCAA. They're not going to go sure, past but, the first but, round. Yeah, but that, that doesn't build game. their confidence. That doesn't build their confidence. They need to go to the NCAA tournament and play in that. They, what, what we're getting at is that they need to play – in big venues in front of real crowds that that aren't just their home fans. Well, yeah. they'll get that in the NCAA tournament um, more than they will in the NIT. And ultimately, they just need to do it throughout the year and not just do it intermittently in the Pac-12. In the Pac-12, you get to Oregon and you get to you know Utah and maybe in Colorado, Arizona, obviously, and Poly Pavilion, and then they feel it. And they're experiencing something that they haven't the entire year. And and they don't play well. And so they need to do that throughout the year. That's what they really need. But you're not going to get that at the NIT. So they're fine going to the NCAA tournament, but – I do think that they need to schedule more competitively and I think it will help a more competitive culture. So yeah, yeah. No, if, we're ta- ta- if we're talking about that, it's, they, they should, they should schedule a tough non-conference schedule because it's USC. They're not a bunch of pansies. It's USC. It's a big time athletic yeah. program. Play real basketball teams, you know, schedule like a man. That's all. Yeah. All right, and right, moving on. Um, another development in the past week 
we've learned that kicker Matt Bormeister is not going to be with USC for spring, and he's very unlikely to return to the team at all. And it, it appears that it's a very serious situation, which uh, we we're, we don't have facts, so we're not going to speculate. But um, everything I've heard about it is very bad. And it just it, it tells me that he's not going to be back there. So just look at your take on the fact that USC in all likelihood is losing its starting kicker who we haven't forgotten that just made the, the winning field goal in the Rose Bowl two months ago. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, that that's a big deal. Um, I'm not sure that it's a huge deal though. And, and I think that it's, it's, Basically, because USC, you know, over the past few years with John Baxter, there had they've kind of put so much of an investment into special teams. I think that even more of an investment that I would recommend or want if I was the head coach <laughs> of USC. I'm just being honest. That um, I feel like it's the situation. I'm not sure, you know, what Michael Brown is yet. I'm not sure, you know, that he's the answer, or whatever. But it's going to be better than a disaster, I would say, at the kicking position. And I've seen good teams get away with having a bad kicker before. It's not ideal, but I just have a feeling that USC is going to have a competent kicking game uh, regardless. Uh, I think that you would obviously, you'd want Boardmeister back. You'd want to return that guy. And, and then you feel like USC has some, maybe, you know, some of the best special teams in the country or something like that. Uh, you know, you don't want that question mark uh, when you're trying to compete for a championship. But, you know, I just remember, you know, Pete Carroll, it seemed like they didn't really worry about special teams nearly as much anyway as this kind well, of thing does. He often did not award a scholarship to the kicker. Yeah. So to me, it just feels like, hey, if those teams, you know, could compete for Rose Bowls and national championships, I don't think that, you know, going from Bormeister to Michael Brown is going to prevent this team from doing anything special. You know, if they were that kind of team anyway, they're going to be that kind of team anyway. That, that would just be my guess. So yeah, I think that okay. it, it might, the, you know, the impact might be overblown a little bit. And I think that if any staff is going to have uh, a kicker prepared, I think it's going to be this staff. Yeah. Another thing to remember, and this was with the previous staff, but it involved Bormeister. He came on board in 2014 when Andre Hagari was a senior, and so Bormeister did not play. But then in 2015, it was supposed to be his job, and he actually got beat out by a walk-on, Alex Wood, who had been there for a couple of years. Now, they didn't kick a lot that year, but Wood was responsible for the field goals to the extent that Borkster hadn't attempted a field goal until last year. And so now it's Michael Brown who's the favorite. He's a a, a redshirt freshman who walked on the team but then was given a scholarship as a blue shirt. Last year, he didn't play, obviously. 
hasn't kicked. We'll see. I mean, this situation has worked out for them in the recent past. We really don't know until he's thrown out there. But uh, he has a good chance right now in spring. I expect that he'll have some competition. Um, There might be maybe another walk-on kicker added between now and the fall because it's something that we know that John Baxter will, you know, he won't leave any stone unturned. He he kicked up very seriously. In fact, when he got the job a year ago, back in January, he tried to take the uh, top recruit, kicking re- kicker recruit in the country from Michigan, where Baxter came from, tried to get him to come to USC, Quinn Norton. He ended up going to Michigan, and then Baxter moved on and snagged Michael Brown. So that's where we are now. Um, It's somebody that he wanted, that he got a year ago, and while they probably weren't preparing to play him for this year or expecting to play him, I'm sure that they've been preparing him because they just had one kicker in front of him, and you never know what's going to happen. And so uh, Baxter's somebody that, you would never say uh, is negligent, right? You'd never accuse him for, for being negligent. No. I think, uh, yeah, I think he'll have Brown as prepared as possible. But uh, another unfortunate situation involving a USC football player who uh, might be in a, in a serious situation in his personal life. But we, we hope, obviously, uh, things uh, work out better there. Again, I, I don't want to speculate at all, really, because um, it involves more than just Kim and um, something uh, bad might have happened there. So uh, finally, to, re- uh, to finish off the week that was, we got to talk about EJ Price. We reported Ooh. last week. Yeah, we reported last week that uh, he's still in school. He's still at USC. Remember, he left the team in September of last year after the third game. Well, it, we're, we're far removed from that. And uh, he had said that he wanted to transfer, or at least USC announced that he was intending to transfer. Although I remember when you broke this story, um, you reported that he had gotten into an altercation with uh, a member of the the athletic staff. And that led to him leaving the team. That's something that we've been able to confirm. But I don't think he's just in school for no reason. I think he's coming back. I agree with you. I, I I don't see why he would stay around at USC unless he felt like there was some way to get back. I think that USC is the easiest path, you know, to capture a starting role, to play a significant role, and to really make an impact at the college level. And, and I'm with you. I think that, you know, if he felt like that that wasn't going to happen, he could have gone to a JUCO gone somewhere else right after he could have transferred and sat out of here anything 
Uh, he's a big-time prospect. He was a big-time recruit. He's really good, uh, you know, even from what we saw from him, you know, early on in the year before this all happened. USC needs that guy, and he needs USC, I think, really, because, that's the, yeah. again, that's the easiest path is you just show up next year and, you know, you're potentially starting or whatever, playing a big role. Uh, so I'm with you. I, I think that if there's any chance that this could all happen, that this could all get fixed and worked out, it will because uh, it's the it's the best thing for both parties. Yeah. A, a, teammate, a former teammate – of his told me that he was focusing on academics and trying to get back on the team. And I have a feeling that it was made clear to him that if he was on good behavior and uh, he'd do everything that that they wanted him to do and that he needed to do between uh, the time that he left. Because I was told that he tried to get back on the team shortly after he left, just a couple weeks later in the middle of the season, and that didn't happen. That wasn't going to happen. But uh, while he won't be participating in spring football, I think we're going to see him back in the team in the fall. You have to remember, if he were to transfer, he'd have to sit out next season after not even playing this past season because he was on the team. He wouldn't be available to play unless he got a waiver from the NCAA, which you can never plan on. He'd have to wait, wait another year. He doesn't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. So I think the, uh, this is all pointing toward him coming back to USC in the fall. We know that they need tackles. Uh, in day one, they had Shuma Dodo lined up at left tackle and – Clay Helkin noted that that's his job to lose. They, they moved him from right tackle, which is where he spent the majority of the last two years because right now that's their best tackle, and so you put him on the left side. It's still a new position for him, you know, in, in some respects. And right tackle, they had Roy Hensley getting the first look with the first team which, uh, you know, happy for Roy because we haven't seen much from him for a couple years. But he is in year three, and sometimes, or most of the time, I would say, it, it takes a couple years for linemen to really be ready and to come into their own. And so maybe we'll see that from him. There's a couple guys in that position who have not really played and are going to be competing. Um, Clayton Johnston's another one. He was uh, at left tackle in practice, but I can see a few of these guys. In fact, Clay made, made that point himself. He said, we're going to be moving guys around. He mentioned really everyone on the line, but uh, especially with the tackles where they, they could be jumping back and forth. This is the time that you do it in spring. You, no one has anything locked up. I don't think Shuma Doga will, will go back and forth, but I think the other guys likely will because they have to identify – who's their next best tackle, and whoever that guy is is going to end up their right tackle. So that competition, I think, will be open for the entire spring. And, again, don't be surprised if you see 
EJ Price rejoining the team in the summer and there for fall practice, trying to win a job at tackle. Seems like the price might be right. That, how long were you yeah. waiting to say that? I love it. At least 30 seconds. Okay. All right. All right, let's move on now. Um, we are going to talk about spring football. They've just begun, as I mentioned earlier. Day one was on Tuesday. We're recording this on Wednesday. They practice every week. If you guys want to show up, they're all open to the public. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3.15, and then on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Now, this is week one. Week two is spring break. They're not going to have any practice. They take a week off. This is how they've done it for the last few years. And then they'll go four weeks in a row, and it will be that schedule I just mentioned, Tuesday and Thursday, 3.15, Saturday at 10 a.m. be great to see you guys out there. Um, they do separate the media and the public, but, uh, but there are ways to, to say hello. So don't be shy if you do see me um, or Chris Swanson. I'm hearing him, he'll, he'll make a cameo. <laughs> right? Maybe. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. No comment? No comment? Okay. I said maybe. I, mean, right. I don't want to I give wait. too much away. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the competition. Let's talk about the open position. Um, a lot of these positions are spoken for because they do return quite a few starters on both sides of the ball. But where they don't return a starter, I feel like, there's some really wide open competition to the point where I can make a guess, but I really don't even know who's going to win out. And if you ask 10 different people, you'll get, you know, maybe five different answers. So I would say um, there, there's quite a bit to follow here in spring. Um, let's begin with wide receiver where, Juju and Darius are gone. Deontay Burnett is back. And then you have a bunch of guys that have either played a, a little bit or not at all. What do you think about receiver right now? Yeah, I think there's talent, uh, but unproven, undeveloped talent for the most part. Uh, you know, I, I look obviously at Deontay Burnett because he is the returner. Does he stay on the inside? Does he move outside? Where is he going to go? Because, you know, he's a reliable uh, option for them. And so I wonder, you know, even though he was so good on the inside before, do they want to move him yeah. around? Do they want to try some different things with him? I also we we knew that, right. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to piggyback on that. We knew with, you know, Darius and Juju, Deontay's going to be inside, although he did work outside on occasion, but primarily at slot. But with this team, because this is a new team, on this team, he could end up outside. Um, but it, it could really, it, that's not really as big of a concern. But if he's their best receiver, then you do want to see where is he playing. And I'll actually, I'll, I'll wait as we go through the list of players that are competing. I'll, uh, I'll tell you also why 
we might see Deontay move outside. But go ahead. Well, the guy that, you know, will be on the outside that I'm looking at first and foremost is Michael Pittman Jr. Just because he did play uh, last year, he was kind of that guy out of that group, uh, the large group of freshmen that got playing time, mostly on special teams. But it seems to me like he's uh, he might be a bit further along than the other guys because uh, he didn't redshirt. And also because coming out of high school, I thought he was the best of the bunch as well. So he's the guy that I kind of expect to make a jump and to, you know, uh, take one of these spots on the outside and, and sort of start to make an impact. Um, but outside of him, there's a bunch of other names uh, there, obviously, in that same freshman class. Uh, there's some other guys around, too. Uh, so, I, I mean, I know that everybody's looking at Tyler Vaughn. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's Phyllis Jones, Trevon Sidney. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of guys. They have a bunch of, of guys they've stacked up in recent classes. It's just mostly unproven. Um, for me, I think Pittman's the safest bet. After that, I don't really know where the production is going to come from, and I don't think anybody does. I think it, it might just be anybody's guess, uh, maybe, you know, uh, waiting for Stephen Mitchell to come back from injury or something like that. Maybe maybe he takes a jump going forward, but I know that doesn't that's not related to spring. Um, and we can't really find out about that in the spring. So for me, I'm looking at Pittman, and then I'm looking for another name to emerge, and I'm not really sure who it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, I'm very curious. I'm not, I'm not scold that this position is going to flourish or or be dominant, which is what I associate with USC football. I mean, pretty much the, for the entirety of my life, they've had all-American receivers, guys that, that are going to the NFL. Now, what happens there is a different story, but they dominate college football. We've just seen that for the better part of 30 years now. And maybe that will come to fruition with a couple of these guys, but I can't tell you that I already – can see that from, from how they've practiced. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not talking about spring yet. They've had one day, but uh, in fall or, or maybe the year before if they've been there for a couple of years. We just haven't seen that yet. Deontay Burnett has been about what I thought he could be and maybe just to get it quicker than I thought he would. I remember talking to him last fall or maybe last summer, and telling him, hey, I, by the way, I, I'm predicting that you're going to be the slot receiver, that you're going to win that job. Because I, I just thought that he was, if not their third best, I mean, if not their second, at least their third best receiver going into last year. I mean, Juju was one, but I actually believe that Deontay could be better than Darius. Darius ended up having a breakout year. And they were about even, although Darius obviously played more and was consistent throughout the year. Deontay came on later in the year and uh, and flourished. Um, he actually he didn't beat out Stephen Mitchell though. I, I shouldn't I should make that point as well. Mitchell had the job until he got injured. Deontay played, but he was behind Mitchell, and he was productive as a reserve, but. 
it wasn't until he became a starter that he took off. But uh, so Deontay, this is what I thought he could do. Now the next step is, can he be elite? And that's just hard to say. And we're not going to learn that in practice. That's something that you prove on Saturday in the fall. So um, that's one question mark. But beyond that, I want to see more from a lot of these guys because while they didn't get to play at all, they played a little bit, I felt like there would be signs. Usually there are. Um, I don't know, just the teams I've been able to cover for the last decade and a half, they they controlled practices. I mean, a lot of practices are geared toward defensive backs and receivers. I mean, a lot of seven-on-seven and one-on-ones and even the team periods, a lot of them will be pass-heavy. They're really a showcase for these guys. And you saw that from Juju throughout. You know, it, not just when when he took over, you know, especially his sophomore year, but even his freshman year early on in, in training camp. You just saw that this kid was special. And I haven't seen that from a lot of these guys. Um, Deontay to me looked better than, than uh, you know, in, when he came. And he was... And you, you'll remember he was a, a blue shirt and someone who was under the radar. And he showed me those flashes. And that's why I thought he would become a starter and eventually become one of their top two or three receivers. So I'm not, I'm not writing these guys off. They're really young, a lot of them. I mean, even if they've been there for a year or nine months, they're still probably 18, maybe 19. I think there's a lot of room to grow, but um, I'm still, you know, I'm I'm going to be cautious with this um, because uh, we haven't seen it. We we haven't seen enough yet. Um, it, it makes me look forward to Joseph Lewis and Randall Grimes. I I think that they are going to be in a position when they arrive in the fall. To, to win a job maybe right there in that training camp. Or or if not a starting job, uh, they'll, they can they can get in the rotation. They can uh, play themselves out of a red shirt if they can have a big training camp. All right, let's move on. Um, the next competition that I see is uh, on the offensive line. What do you think about what, what's going on there? I think it's craziness. Uh, you know, I think that, like, <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're replacing, uh, the two tackles, which is a okay. big deal. It's huge. Um, I, I think, you know, they've obviously, they've, you know, they have their first day of practice. They had guys out there, but it's all kind of an experiment. I think at this point still, and, you know, you're trying to figure out which of these kind of, uh, I don't want to say no names, but, you know, because they're not. They're all big-name recruits. But guys that have been kind of around and, and sitting and, and waiting their turn, kind of who steps up and, and who jumps in. You're replacing a guard in Damian Mama as well, although I think that will be easier for them kind of just with how, you know, their roster's built and who they have returning. 
uh, you know, Joe Lobendon's like going to be there in the spring. So I think that that kind of hurts too, because you, I think that you kind of want to see how he fits in, where he fits in, you know? Um, so, but I, I think at the same time, it's going to, it's going to be a time to get a lot of, uh, different names, uh, you know, a, a shot, uh, out there. I think at the end of the day, though, uh, it's going to be a bunch of familiar names uh, that, that kind of end up with the starting spots, uh, just in my opinion. I, I think that, you know, Chimadoga will lock down the left, um, you know, and then and I think you're going to have Nico Fallon in there, Vianna Chalmaval is going to be there, Joe Lobendon is going to find the spot. And then so I, I kind of think that there's really one uh, position that's sort of up in the air and who's going to grab that. Uh, I, I right think tackle, four, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that that would be right my tackle. guess. That would be my yeah, guess. Right now. And, I, and I know that even you know, even if it ends up being a different position, it seems like the other four names are kind of figured out. You know what I mean? And then maybe they'll just play some different spots or something. And and we expect. Um, well, and the other thing. Well, let's be specific. Fala, he's going to play center. And, okay. uh, help him get open the door for. Uh, for the possibility that he could play elsewhere because he he's played elsewhere. Um, he's played center, he's played guard and tackle as has Tola Lovingon. But I, I just don't believe that he's not going to be the center. So if we put him there and Vianney Kalmanov is going to be the right guard, I'm more confident saying that than maybe anything. Then I think Toe is going to play left guard, and they're looking at for a right tackle. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's the most likely scenario. I was just, you know, leaving yeah. it open in case there's something else that happens. And then I think that, you know, as we talked about earlier with EJ Price, if he does end up coming back, then I don't even think, you know, that it's really that much of a question mark. I think that he'll eventually win that job. I just do. I know they have some other guys, uh, some other really talented guys and some guys that have played before, but I, I I just think that, you know, he's kind of a natural talent at that position. So we'll see. If he comes back, mm. you know, that would be my pick. If he doesn't, they have other guys that, you know, could really fill in that spot, I think, and they could be okay there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you, you made that point. So you think that – Hypothetically, he comes back. He's there in training camp. You think he wins that job? What in, in during the season or before the opener? You think eventually? I I don't want to lock it down saying before the opener because I think that yeah. if you're coming back, you know, for fall camp and even out for a while, it, it might be tough. But I I just I just remember seeing him and thinking this is one of their best you know, tackle prospects around even. I thought he was further along than, and you know, a lot of the other guys that maybe they brought in a class, you know, before him or whatever else. So I just think that he, if he comes back, he's the guy eventually. I don't know when that happens, but uh, that's just what I think. Yeah, okay. I, I get it. Um, there is always a chance they could put Toa Loving on at right tackle. It's actually the one position – where he hasn't started for USC, he has started the other four. I don't think they're going to put him there. I think if they were going to play in that tackle, it would actually be left tackle because he's played a bit of it. He's played more than Shuma Joga has in that left tackle. But 
now now that I've talked to Clay about it, it I get the impression that you know they they want Schumann to win that left tackle to own that position, and we know that Viani's the right guard. That's where he's been for three years, and I, I think Nico's in the middle, and then therefore I'm expecting Logan Gunn to be the left guard, assuming that he can come back and be healthy. Uh, right now, he's working on the side, and they're going to hold him out of uh, contact for the spring. He told me, I think in October or maybe November, that his timeline of recovery was about the end of spring, where basically maybe spring had been in, let's say, May. He probably would be doing it. If, he, you know, if spring practice was held a month, month and a half later, we might see him out there, but uh, he's not going to be ready to go in March and April. And so he's definitely working. I mean, you got to respect that guy after what he's been through and the multiple torn ACLs. And he comes back, and every time he's come back, he he's ready to go. So you can tell that he's not just back because it healed but because he's put in the work and he really wants it. And now it's year four. So we uh, we hope that it, it works out for him there. I have a feeling it will. And uh, that's why I think I, I, I'm putting in pencil that left guard. But uh, I reserve the right to erase that if I need to. <laughs> I really do think that he'll be a left guard. Um, but at right tackle, it, I think it's wide open, uh, and it's very interesting. We saw Roy Hensley, like I mentioned. Um, I think we're going to see Clayton Johnston get a look. We're going to see the freshman, Andrew Voorhees. He's already there for spring, and uh, I think that he'll have a real chance there at right tackle. Um, and then you could always throw a couple other guys there if you need to. Um, Jordan Austin and Chris Brown, they've worked more at guard, but they could end up at tackle. Um, Hemsley, I just mentioned him, he has really spent uh, a good amount of time at both guard and tackle, but hasn't played. So um, you really could, could bet on any of them right now. You know, I mean, it'd be an interesting handicap if this were a horse race. I don't know that there's a favorite right now. I, I wouldn't just say Hemsley because day one he was with the first team. I, I was very surprised by that, in fact. But um, I think it's probably about as open as it can get right now at right tackle. And like you're saying if EJ Price comes back and you're expecting him to, to eventually win the job, I get it that he might not necessarily be able to do that within, you know, fall practice, but um, he'll have a shot to to compete there, and maybe he does eventually take over uh, at some point next fall, or this upcoming fall, I should say. So, um, I, the last thing I want to ask you about that position is, what, what would be your level of concern there? Yeah, not right just a right tackle. tackle, the whole line, the whole line. Uh, 
I'd be concerned because I didn't think the offensive line was very good last year. And uh, considering, you know, how many people returned and how many people had starting experience. So when you lose guys from that line that I thought was already a little bit of a problem, in my honest opinion, I think it's a concern. What they have going for them is that uh, despite losing, you know, three guys with a lot of experience, it seems like they somehow, some way, uh, maybe because of injuries or whatever else, but, you know, return a bunch of experience anyway. Uh, when I look at the interior positions, I'm, I'm not that worried. I think that that, you know, they should be fine at those spots. I do worry about tackle a little bit because you're replacing both those tackles. Chuma Dogas looked good before, but I think that, you know, it's still a concern, especially if he's moving over to left or whatever. And uh, I think right tackle, uh, if, if, you know, everything breaks the way that we think it's supposed to, I think right tackle is potentially a huge concern as well. Yeah. It's funny that you, you weren't in love with who they had there before, and now they're replacing, you know, three or four of them. And, or probably three, I'm going to say, you know, Viani and Nico are, are returning. So they, they're the, they're incumbents at their position. But you're replacing three of them. Now, maybe that's a good thing, right? I mean, that, that could be a good thing then. Yeah. Even though those, I, I, re, I realize those people were obviously behind the people that played, but the people that were playing, they weren't going to lose their job either. I mean, you, you weren't going to, uh, you weren't going to bench Wheeler or Banner. Um, Damian Mama was benched at times in practice. I guess if you can call that a benching, he, he was the, the second team guy for at, at some point but ultimately was a full-time starter in his third year. He wasn't always in the previous years. So you might upgrade there. I mean, Cole Lobendon, when he's been healthy, has been a very good guard. I thought that he was either their first or second best lineman his uh, freshman year in 2014, where he started about two-thirds of the year at left guard, and then ended up at left tackle when Wheeler went down. And I thought Wheeler and, and Lovingon, uh they they were their best linemen, in my opinion, that year. So that was obviously three years ago. But if Lovingon can stay healthy, I think he can be a very good guard. And they might be good up the middle then, right, With between him and Viani, who is – criminally underrated, and Nico Fala, who had a really nice season last year. So, if Chuma takes the left tackle, they've been in love with him for a long time. We we haven't seen him play as much as maybe, you know, he thought he was going to play, but they were really high on him when they got him, and I think they still are. And maybe he plays a great left tackle. So I, I can see how this line could be fine, but uh, it, it's just something, again, that we really won't know until they get to the season. 
Um, if it's your biggest concern, I think that's fair, right? Yeah. I mean, or 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 are you more concerned about the defensive line? Uh, I'm more concerned about the defensive line, personally. You are? Okay. I did either one. Well, just well, let's talk because, about that. okay, um, I mean, because they lost Stevie Toikolovasu, and he was the star there. Uh, Rasheem Green is the guy that, you know, everybody kind of expects to step up and, and you know, be huge for them, and, and he seemed like he was uh, headed that way last year. Um, but outside of him, I, I think you have – question marks everywhere. Uh, Kenny Bigelow is is, uh, limited this spring. I think that that's a huge question mark uh, because, you you know, you need him back uh, healthy and and going. They need him badly. They need him to be Stevie Toikolovasi for them again. Basically, this year they need to hit another home run and have another older guy just kind of lock it down and do it all. so I, I I'm I'm concerned. I mean I think I think that that's fair. I think that there's some guys on the roster that were big name recruits that people were celebrating about that that haven't done it yet. Um, and you know I, I think that unless they have one or two guys really step up and and kind of you know be monsters for them along the defensive line, they're going to have issues. Uh, I think that when you look at you know how they've recruited in in recent years. At defensive line outside of that you know, 2015 class that maybe isn't living up to what it was supposed to be, they they haven't done enough. They haven't got enough bodies, and you know I, I think that adding fought to the, the junior college guy was a smart idea, but they probably needed to do more of that. Um, you know, so I, I think yeah. that it might come, you know, to bite them in the butt eventually. Uh, I thought it would last year. It didn't. They hit a home run with Stevie Toikolavatu. If Kenny Bigelow doesn't have that same kind of impact, if Rasheem Green doesn't have that same kind of impact, they they're going to have trouble along the defensive line this year, without question. Well, they're bringing in some freshmen. Uh, Marlon Tuipulotu is already there, and then we're going to see Jake Ufele and Brandon Peely and Jacob Lichtenstein come in the fall. That's a lot to put on freshman defensive lineman. Uh, uh, every so often you have that special one, like Leonard Williams, who is not only ready to go first year, but he's already great. But that that's not the norm. That's not at all common. So I, I do think that we're going to see a couple of freshmen play, and maybe a couple of them can contribute. But it's hard to, to expect or hard to believe that they're going to have a big role. Defensive line and offensive line, that's usually the case. At least with the offensive line, they have a lot of guys that have been in the system. They've been at USC for one, two, even three years. On the defensive line, they have fewer of those guys and a couple of them have played, and they just haven't done a lot. So, um, what, what I've been what I've been writing as I've been previewing spring, I'm doing a series 17 for 17, where I'm picking out who are the the top guys to watch in spring practice, and it's really 
a list of players who have the most to gain and are in position to do that. So I don't even have Sam Darnold on that list because he's not winning anything in spring. This spring's not really about him. Um, obviously, everybody can try to improve and working on things, but uh, this list, again, is for, for people that are trying to win a job, um, are, trying, are, are trying to earn a, a bigger role. And, and so um, I mention this now because that's a lot of the offensive line and the defensive line. And so you look at someone like Christian Rector. Well, I think people like him, they have to have a good year. I think they need multiple guys like that on the offensive line. I don't know that there's going to be another Stevie Tui Kowalaku, who, in my opinion, was their defensive MVP last year, but one of the best defensive linemen in the Pac-12. And, and basically came out of nowhere in terms of nationally. And now I believe we'll get drafted. That's where he came from. So that's how good he was. I don't think that they're going to have that. You just can't expect that to happen again. And so, but that's okay. Like If they don't get that, it doesn't mean that they're screwed. I just think that between someone like Rector or a Jacob Daniel or Malik Dorton, Josh Faku, Kenny Bigelow, to varying degrees, uh, Liam Jimmon, to varying degrees, they all have to do something. A couple of them have to be very good. A couple of them are going to need to play maybe 15, 20 snaps a game and do something with that. So they, they don't need necessarily an All-American. That would be great. Of course, they want that. But if they don't get that, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a bad defensive line or uh, that they're going to be a, a big problem for the team. So um, I, I think it's fair, though, to say that that's a bigger concern than the offensive line. There's a lot of unknown there as well. Um, they're, they're probably about even for me. I think that they're both pretty big question marks, and that, that's what I'm going to watch closely. Uh, and, and report on quite a bit this spring because um, if you don't have a good offensive line and or a good defensive line, then you don't have a great team. You can probably get away with it with your skill players and, and still be good, you know, and, and win enough games. But that obviously that's not USC standard, and they're not going to get to where they want to go. They're not going to win the Pac-12 with – a bad line on either side of the ball. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. A um, couple other position battles that we can skim through. Weak side linebacker. Pretty much the guy. Who, who is Cam Smith's partner in crime? Uh, what, what do you think about that spot? I don't know. This is a tough one. Uh Honestly, I, I think that you know you're you're just trying to find uh, a new name. Uh, they start off with John Houston uh, in the first day. Uh, I think Jordan Iosefa is the other guy that uh, people are really looking at. 
And I mean, I I don't know where to lean because they're both young and they, you know we haven't really seen a lot of uh, you know either one of them. I guess I'd lean towards Iosefa because I was just more impressed with what I saw out of him. I always thought that uh, John Houston had developed a bit more and, and you know still had to develop some more uh, even now. But uh, they started off with him obviously in the ones, not that that's too meaningful, but. Um, I'll lean towards Asafa, but this is this is going to be a battle. This is going to be a close battle, I think. Yeah, I think it'll be a good one. I don't want to hyperbolize what we saw on day one. I, I think it's ridiculous. Um, I know that there are already people out there that are going to talk up what what happened at many spots with a lot of young players because. They're going to sell hype. I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, they weren't in packs, okay, and it was day one of spring practice. However, John Houston has been injured for some time. Um, he's been limited. His athleticism, he's an athletic guy. He he leans on that. A, a lot of his game is predicated on on how he moves. Uh, more than some other inside linebackers, more than a Cam Smith, for comparison. He looked healthy. So that was encouraging. He looked really healthy. And, and I'll just leave it at that for now because it was day one. But uh, he looked healthy. I think that there are a few people that could end up with this job. Um, I like Jordan Alexeffa in the past, what I've seen from him last fall. I, you know, he's he's the guy that coming into spring practice, you know, I, I would have thought, like, okay, if I had to pick one guy to win this job, I think he'll win the job. Uh, they started him at middle linebacker, backing up Cam. Um, but the way that Clancy uses these linebackers, as I mentioned probably too many times now, they're interchangeable. So, you know, even last year we saw Michael Hutchins playing middle linebacker throughout practice, and then right before the Bama game, he slid over to weak side, and he ended up being the starter there with Cam Smith because Cam had been out for spring, and then he was limited in training camp as well. And he really didn't get uh, to full speed till maybe, you know, a week before Alabama. I mean, I think Clay even said he didn't think that you know, Cam was all the way there until, you know, early in his season where he was playing at the level that we had seen from him freshman year. So just because someone's got middle linebacker right now doesn't mean that he can't be a weak side linebacker when it's go time. But uh, I think we're going to see Oskefa compete for that job, Sean Houston, um, Kaylor Katoa. The incoming freshman, he's already there in spring. He's someone that, uh, that I would keep an eye on. And then Elijah Wan Tucker, I'm gonna, I will, uh, I will definitely follow up on this. He was not there on day one. I'm not sure if he'll be participating. He's been included on the roster. He was academically ineligible for the Rose Bowl, but um, they said that he'll be back. And um, and so I just don't know what his level of involvement will be this spring. 
maybe he comes back after the, the break, or maybe he's coming back in the fall. I, I just don't know yet, um, but I will have a follow-up on that at trojansports.com. This would be integral for him, obviously, to be back in spring. He's someone that has played both inside and out and has obviously more experience than the other guys I've been naming. So, um, you know, don't count him out. I think he could end up there as well. Um, and then there's a couple of the freshmen that are coming in the fall. It's really hard for them to, to win that job coming in the fall. When Cam Smith did win his job, he, he's been there in spring practice two years ago. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that linebacker is a spot where someone's going to come in in training camp and just start right there and win a job, at least not right away. Maybe they outplay the, the leader and then they, they can take over later on. But um, I, I just don't see Pendergast doing that. But um, nonetheless, I think that we, we have ourselves a nice competition at weak side linebacker. And then um, the other two spots in the, in the defensive backfield that I think are open, but I think their heavy favorites are Jack Jones at cornerback and then Chris Hawkins at safety. Now, neither one of them was a full-time starter last year. Hawkins was a part-time starter, and then Jack Jones didn't start at all. But I think that those are the guys. I think that they are, they probably are uh, bigger favorites than maybe anybody else that we've named in any of the other competitions. I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I, I almost, well, at least when it comes to Chris Hawkins, I feel like that, that's almost just set. Um, I feel like it wouldn't really make sense if they went away from him. And then Jack Jones, I think that when they needed him, uh, last year, you know, obviously he didn't play for most of the year, but when they needed him in the Rose Bowl, he was out there pretty quickly. He was the guy, right, that they picked to go out there. So yeah. I thought that was telling, too. And I think you're right on. I, I think with his talent and athleticism, too, um, you know, you're just kind of waiting for him to, to become what he's supposed to be. And then you think, hey, that's a pretty scary, uh, you know, cornerback group if he lives up to the height. Uh, once again, even without a Dory Jackson. Yeah. Jack Jones, obviously, is a bright future. He regularly looks good in practice. Now, that's, you know, from the untrained eye of mine. I do know that sometimes they get on him a little bit because of maybe him not taking their coaching um, the way that they want him to. Uh, that, that defensive staff doesn't play around. I mean, really none of it does. I mean, I, I shouldn't just uh, make that exclusive to defense. Um, I think a lot of people would be proud with how the position coaches handle their handle their players. Um, I think sometimes we're looking at them through a recruiting lens and we're looking at them through, you know, what we see uh, on Saturday, on game day, which I, I understand, right? But with the benefit of being there regularly, 
Um, I think that this staff works really hard. And so um, I've, I've noticed that there are times when they get on Jack Jones. Um, not necessarily because of his effort, but maybe more his focus. And uh, I know that last year he had high expectations. I mean, we can't forget he came out and said that, you know, he was out there to win the high win right away. And um, he he's very confident and he's very determined. And he thought he would have a – that he would win a starting job. Not that it would be given to him, but he thought he would win it. Now – you could tell him that, hey, that's not going to happen because there's a glory on one side and Diggy on the other. But I appreciate that he doesn't care. You know, in some respect, he just is like, well, I think I'm, I'm better. I think I'm going to be better. And I want to win it, and I believe I'm going to win it. It didn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, some people don't take that well. Um, that didn't mean that he didn't give uh, his uh, – his effort to his role because he did play well on special teams. Um, he didn't play a lot at corner. He, he made that cameo in the Rose Bowl and it was a bit of an adventure, but whatever, you can throw that out now. I mean, it, it's not, I think, a, a sign of of what we're going to see this year because it, it's different when you're getting all the reps and you know that you're the guy because I'm expecting he'll win the job. And I, I think that he'll be a very good player. So I do look at him as a heavy favorite, much like I do Chris Hawkins at Skakey. So those are uh, what I see as being the most open competition battles, really the ones that we, we ran through before the last two. But um, the beauty of spring football is that anything can happen right now. Uh, It's football, and unfortunately, people can get injured. But even, you know, let's say, let's hope that they don't. Uh, There are players that are going to emerge. There are players that we don't know about yet or we know a little bit about or maybe we've seen quite a bit from, and they, they, they prove us wrong. And... They have a transformation, and they, they just grow. I mean, think of Yuchen Nwosu, who I know you and I believed in going into last year, but most people probably wouldn't have or thought much of because he did play his freshman year. He did play his sophomore year, and he was just okay. But, you know, I, I think you, you, you gain a lot from practice and what I've seen from him even before last year was someone who could shine in a bigger role. And he ended up having a really good off season last year, spring football, fall, fall camp. And he had a good year. And he's someone that could have a bigger year. I mean, there's still, I think another step for him to take. And so that's what I want to ask you right now. Um, who are some of your favorites going into this year? Just right now, you know, with, with what we know, who are some of your favorites? That, and not not a Darnold, not a Rojo, 
Um, some of the other guys that, you know, maybe they were a starter, but they, you know, that you think are candidates to be a breakout player or someone that was not a starter, either they redshirted or they were a, maybe a, just a, a reserve that you think they can win a starting job and, and have, a, have a year like maybe you turned into a little school kid a year ago. Yeah, you know, there's a few names uh, that stand out to me, and I'm sure a couple of them you won't think fit. You know, you won't you won't like how they fit into this category or how I think they fit into this category. Um, but I'm going to say them anyway. So, um, so uh, running back, I think uh, Vave Malapai, uh, just because he could have a role that I think that he's a little bit different than some of the other running backs on the roster. Uh, so I think that they could give him some kind of role and, and he could kind of, um, you know, break out a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to be the number one back or anything like that, right. but I just think that, that he, he can make a name for himself this year. Now, um, I like that pick. I, I want to ask you about him real quick. Now, okay. how would you compare him to Stephen Carr? Because you had the benefit of seeing Carr maybe a little bit more than most. Um, they seem to be similar to me in terms of them being all-purpose backs, but they're built differently. So just if you can compare them a little bit for me, because Malapai, you're right, he's different from uh, from John Davis and from Cedric Ware, from Rojo. How would you compare him to Carr? I think they are very similar because I think they can catch out back though. I think they can pass block. I think they're both actually very fast. Um, I think Carr's probably a little bit faster, and uh, uh is probably a little bit bigger. So I think that that what you know what Malapai has, I think he has everything like Carr does. I think you could call him all-purpose backs, but I think what he has that will help him on this roster at least is that size that I mentioned. I, I think that you can kind of mm. um, make it. I, I he's not you know he's not a bigger back maybe than like right, Alabama would have. But yeah. he's their bigger back, so I, th- I think that that's what that, that's what's going to allow him to to do something this year. Um, I think Carr's a little bit smaller, a little bit faster. Malapai is pretty darn fast himself too, though. Um, but they they are both very similar. I think that's a good comparison uh, there. So maybe maybe Carr has an impact as well. Who knows? Um, I think harder when you're yeah. a first year guy, obviously. Um, well, I would definitely put him in this category of stuff. Like, I'm really wanting to focus more on the guys that are that are there right now in spring. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so, uh, receiver, uh, I think Michael Pittman. That's kind of my pick to to have a breakout uh, kind of year. I, I think that you know he fits that outside position so well. Uh, just his body type, and I think he's the furthest along of the guys in his class. I, I think that that's kind of uh, the easy pick uh, at receiver. Um, mm-hmm. Offensive line, I'm going to say Chuma Adoga because I, I think that, uh, you know, it's his time. Uh, I think he's talented. I, I think he'll show, you know, why he was so highly respected coming out of high school and, why maybe he thought that he should have a role earlier. Um, so I think that's a that's an easy pick. Um, 
Defensively, I'm going to jump to defense, I, I think, because I, I just going through my head on the offense. I can't really think of somebody else uh, right now. Um, Don't worry, Amon, I, got, I got people. Uh, I'm sure you do. Amon Marshall's already broken out, but I expect him to take another step, so I'm going to mention him as well because I expect him to jump to superstar uh, type status. Um, okay. I think I think whoever starts next to Cam Smith. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but I think whoever does get that spot will break mm-hmm. out as well because I think that when you have two inside guys and one of them's Cam Smith, the other guy's going to look good too. I, I mm-hmm. just think that that's kind of how, you know, it works. Um, Michael, yeah, Michael Hutchins was someone who maybe quietly had a, a very important year for USC last year. Yeah, and I'll point out though that the the year before when he did get or maybe it wasn't the year before, I'm not good at math it was two years ago. When he did get a shot, he didn't look that good. I, I think he played great last year, but I think, you know, playing next to a guy like Cam Smith helps. I think it will help the next guy as well. Um and then I, there's somebody along the defensive line that I wanna pick. I'm not sure who yet. I I would say Kenny Bigelow, but I'm worried about his health. Um, I would pick a freshman, but I think that's incredibly difficult. So I'm going to say Rasheem Green because even though I think he's already kind of broken out a little bit, I think that, you know, there's a lot more to go for him. I think he has a really high ceiling. So I mm-hmm. think he's go- he's going to be their defensive lineman, their name defensive lineman would be my guess. that so everybody starts to kind of recognize, you know, that guy always gets recognition. I think he- he'll get that. Um that's kind of where the list ends for me, I think. Uh, I, I could maybe throw uh, Chris Hawkins on there, even though he's a longtime starter. Maybe he gets more recognition, um, you know, because he, he was kind of a, you know, I guess a rotational starter at times mm-hmm. during his career or whatever. I think maybe this is the year when, when people start to recognize him as one of the best players in the secondary, you know, for USC. Um so maybe he can be on this list as well. I'm not sure if that's entirely fair or fits into what you were asking. Um, but that's pretty much all the names that I have. I'm sure you're going to say a couple and make me go, oh, yeah, that guy. So I'll let you do <laughs> well, that he's right six. now. He, he definitely sticks. I mean, I was asking for people that either weren't a starter that were going to become one or uh, were a starter and were going to become a star. So I think that uh, – there are a lot of people – what's interesting about this team is that there are so many candidates for that to happen with because you've had so many people that just haven't played full-time yet or maybe they played full-time one year. It's a bit of a young team, you know. It's not senior heavy. Um, it's, it's junior heavy, but even a lot of juniors – were behind people the last couple of years that they were there. So, again, there are probably about 20 guys I can think of that qualify for this. Um, but I'll, I'll list a few that stand out to me. Daniel Immature Baby, a lot of people probably think he already broke out. He, yeah, he I only had 17. That. Right. He had 17 catches last year. So, while we might be in love with this game, I think America is going to be in love with him. 
I, I think that he can lead the team in receiving. Um, or if not, I, I mean, it doesn't matter. He could be number two, maybe behind Burnett. But regardless, I think he's going to have a monster season. Um, I I just have got so highly of him from day one. I, I remember him. I remember seeing him uh, at the Rising Stars camp when we found out that he was transferring. And I just was a bit enamored with just, like, what he could be, you know, just seeing him. And I, I felt like he was a perfect build for a kayak. And then he, you know, came in summer and training camp, and I thought he was potentially dominant. And that's, that's what it looked like to me. And I, I knew that he wasn't getting the reps that he would have gotten because he had to stay out of here. So they, they couldn't invest in him that way in training camp because it, he wasn't going to be able to play that year. But um, just watching what he did get and then watching him on a scout team with Sam Darnold, I really believed in him. And it's been neat to see him progress throughout even last year where his playing time really took a leap in the middle of the year and he made it count right away, especially in that Washington game. And uh, I, so now I expect him to be the number one tight end and not to look back. So it's probably a foregone conclusion to some people. It hasn't happened yet. And that's why I name him. Um, who else? I think it's safety. We could see, uh, I, and I think they need a, a, a nice leap from both Marvell Kell and Chris Hawkins. They have some experience together now. Um, but uh, I think both of them have another level that they can get to. Um, Hawkins was very productive when he played last year. Um, statistically, he had an even better year than the year before. But last year, he made more of an impact. He affected games more, um, even as a part-time player, and that's why he was a Pac-12 honorable mention. And that's something that neither Leon McQuay nor Marvell Kell was recognized with. Well, I, I think that that can happen with Marvell Kell. Um, he was... Coming back from injury last year, and I, I thought he had a couple games there where he really stood out, and a couple where he was pretty quiet. And so I just think that we're going to see a more consistent version of him. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I really thought he could be a great player from what I saw, you know, the flashes of 2015, and so. Um, I'm not, I'm not forgetting about him. I, I think that, again, there's another level for him and for Hawkins. Um, I like your pick of Biggie Marshall because um, I actually believe Biggie Marshall was their best cornerback last year. <laughs> I agree. And I laugh because I'm sure that there are people hearing this that just flat out disagree with me. But uh, Biggie did not give up seven touchdowns like Adore did. Now, Adore often took on the top receiver 
and he would even shadow that individual a lot of the time and go to some of the territory. I get it. But I don't think we're going to see that from Biggie this year in terms of him giving up that many touchdowns. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think he will take on the top receiver most of the time. Now, because he's a different kind of athlete, I think that you're going to see him maybe stay on certain players. Um, he's not as quick as Hattori, obviously, but he's just a, such a big presence that you're going to want him to stay on that bigger guy, even if that bigger guy is the number two receiver. Um, you don't want a, a big receiver manhandling one of their smaller corners just because he's not the go-to target. He'll become the go-to target, you know, if if he is able to dominate someone smaller. Um, we saw a bit of that, in fact, with Utah. I was surprised that Biggie wasn't guarding Beckham uh, last year versus Utah. They, they kept Kim Beckham. They kept Adoree on him. And it was a bad matchup for Adoree, and I thought it cost him. So um, I think Biggie's underrated as well. Um, and uh, I, I could see him taking a leap. Um, Cam Smith is someone that we do not think can mention. But I think we're going to see the best version of him. You have to remember, coming off that knee injury last year, while he says that he didn't feel restricted, I think it, it you know, it was there. It, it was you know, he might not have been thinking about it, but I think it was affecting him a little bit. And he, it was year one for him with Clancy Pendergast, and uh, and so I think any of these guys that are coming back, returning starters in that defense, are are primed for a breakout. You know, Yuchemi Nwosu, Cam Smith, Biggie Marshall, Rasheen Green, although maybe the defensive lineman isn't uh, impacted as much. Porter Gustin. I really could see a lot of these guys being a Marvel Kell, Chris Hawkins, being a better version or if not the best version of themselves this year. So these are all guys that we're familiar with. Of course, there are a number of players that um, I'm not mentioning right now that uh, didn't play a lot last year or didn't play at all and are going to be um, candidates to to win, win a starting job, break out. Um, but it's something that we'll, we'll revisit definitely after spring because there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. And, and spring football is really an important time for those guys, more than – you know, the people that we're, we're talking about right now, the people that I mentioned, um, it might not be the biggest deal for a Biggie Marshall or Marvel Cal or uh, Cam Smith. Um, not that they treat it that way, but it's a big deal for, for the younger guys um, who just haven't played a lot. And I can't emphasize them enough. Getting those reps, it's just different when you're on a scout team and you're having to run – the offense or the defense of the opponent. Um, 
or when you're working in as like the, the second or third string, um, you're not in scout team, but you're basically second or third string during a season, and you're getting limiting reps. You're getting to look over reps, the final maybe four or five plays of a team period sometimes. That's, that, might, that might be all you get. That's rough. Um, and it, you just don't – you don't learn. As much as you can study and everything, you don't learn what you need to, uh, the way that you will when you're out there every down. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of some of these younger guys. And at running back, too, I think we're going to see a lot of Akasendrick Ware and Malapai, who I, I, I'm not even sure we're pronouncing his name right. Do you know? No, I, I'm not sure we're pronouncing it right. Okay, we should probably learn that. I, I'm going to make it a point to learn that <laughs> this spring. But um, it'll be good for them to get these reps for, for Matt Fink and Jack Sears to get a good amount of reps. I, I expect that they will. Um, one thing I was I was disappointed to hear. I don't know if you had any take on this, but Kenny Bigelow not being in uh, pads this spring and being limited to individual drills. Now I'm not questioning the staff. I'm not second guessing it at all. Um, they're doing this because they don't want to get injured, and it's like a precautionary measure. I was just surprised. I didn't expect that because I know that Bigelow, by the end of last year, was healthy. So he's healthy now. They're not doing this because he had a step back. They're doing it strictly because they really want him to play this year. And they don't want to risk it. You know, I, I mean, I get, I'm guessing now that he would be in pads in training camp. Um, I, I don't know how they'll handle him, but I'm, I have to assume that he will be in pads by then. But because he had it, hasn't really played much and hasn't played in a while, I thought this was a, a big spring for him. I thought it would be a big deal just for him to be out there and to be going full speed. Maybe not getting all the reps that a younger player would, but I just thought it would happen. It's not happening. I'm curious to to hear what you think about it. It reminds me of when you have a toy you like a lot when you're a kid, and it Uh keeps breaking, and you either buy a new toy or you keep fixing it, and then you eventually, you play with it, but you're much more careful because it's fragile, and you treat it differently. It seems to me like they're treating Kenny Bigelow like he's fragile, like they're scared that he's going to break again. And to me, when I see that, the thing that comes to my mind is, is he going to break when they put him in pads and, you know, game, you know, whether it's fall camp or game one or three or five or seven, it just seems like it's inevitable that something's going to happen to him because if they didn't feel that way, they would have him participating in this spring. He needs to shake this rust off. He hasn't played in a very long time. Instead of having him shake rust off, they're scared to play him. Yeah. He, he's being treated like he's fragile. That's not a good sign for a defensive lineman that you need. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it's just a, a position where, I mean, I guess, you know, schematically, it's not as important that he's out there a lot, but I think for for him, for his development and his confidence and his, uh, his, his ability to perform, um, I thought, he would be out there and that they would be him out there. So, um, yeah, I, and we're all rooting for him, you know? I mean, we're, we're, we've got to be objective here, but Kenny Bigelow is probably one of the most popular, well-liked guys, like, in the locker room. Um, and I see it with, among the fan base. Everybody wants him to do well, to make it, to be out there. Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously they need it. It goes without saying. You know, and there there are the people there that we're looking at. Josh Fatu gets a big opportunity, and uh, Jacob Daniel can go to the hamstring, but assuming he returns. He has a big opportunity here. Um, I really think with the defensive line, I believe they're going to rotate. They didn't rotate a lot last year, but they were getting so much out of Tui Kolovacu and Rasheem Green, and they were healthy, and they were running only two down linemen. They were in nickel so much, which I'm calling nickel their base defense. They don't call it that, but whatever. I mean, base It, it is, though. So. Yeah, it's their their standard one. Um, that's what I'm anticipating it to be. So it might only be two defensive linemen and occasionally three. Even so, I, I just have a feeling they're going to rotate more. They want to rotate more. They probably don't want to run out uh, even Rasheem Green, as, as good as he might be and as much as he's proven. You don't want to play in every game. You know, remember the conversation we had with Sean Cody where he was like, we got scubbed out, I think, every third or fourth series, as you said. They got scubbed out. That was him and Ugezi and Mike Patterson, you know, all Americans. They weren't playing every down. You don't, you don't do that. You're not your best if you're doing that. So I really think they want to build a committee here and – it's time for a few of these guys to to step up and, and do that. And one of them, obviously, is Kenny Bigelow. So um, it's just another thing to keep in mind with this team because I know that expectations are are super high. And I would be careful with that. I, I wouldn't look at that ranking as, as hard as that might be. I know that they're going to be ranking the top five before the year. And I don't think they belong in the top five. Much like this past year, they ended in the top five. And at, at that point, they deserve that. But that doesn't mean that that is where you should begin the ensuing year. I think there's way too much to, to be learned on the offensive line and defensive line to put them that high. But it, it's inevitable because Darnold is Darnold 
and he's back. So they're going to be in the top five, like it or not. Um, yeah, all right, final, totally final thing. That, yeah, final thing I wanted to, to talk about here, and we'll wrap up. We were asked a question recently, a really good one that I wanted to talk about, to talk over. It was from one of our readers, Trojan Shmoo, who I, I believe uh, is Chris's favorite poster on the board. I don't have any favorites. They're all. You know, oh yeah, children. you can't. Okay, you got to be diplomatic. Okay, my bad. But I, I'm pretty sure you told me that off air. Anyway, okay. So he asked me about, uh, or asked us about Deontay Burnett. He wanted to know, basically, how important is it to have a number one receiver? Because we're wondering if he can, if he can be that guy. Um, but just at, at all, it, how important is it, generally speaking, to to have a number one receiver, a go-to guy? I want to know what you think about this, and then I'll, I'll give you my take. Well, I think it, it depends on what you're talking about when you say go-to guy, because when I look at Sam Darnold, he distributes the ball to everybody, seems to spread it around all over the field. So I don't think it's necessarily important to have one guy that's getting a bunch of stats that's significantly better than everybody else that's the go-to guy. That being Mm -hmm. said, it's incredibly important to have, you know, elite-level receivers, great receivers. Uh, So in that sense, if that's what we're talking about, do they need at least one great receiver? Of course. It's in a, it's a very important part of football. It just is, especially today's game, which uh, you know so focused on passing and, and with the offense that USC is running. Even though they say they're focused on the run game, and the Rose Bowl they threw it, I think it was almost sixty times. Uh, so I, I think that saying that you know is it important for USC to have elite receivers. Yes. If it's one, if it's two, if it's three, they need at least one. Does one necessarily need to be the man, the guy on the team? I don't think so because when I think back to, you know, USC teams uh, in the past, I remember there being multiple receivers, uh, you know, on some of these great USC teams that could be considered go-to guys. And when somebody went down, it seemed like somebody else became a go-to guy. I think if when Mike Williams was dominant, if they had two Mike Williams, two go-to guys like that, that would have been a good thing. So one guy uh, being better than everybody else, not necessary, but they need elite-level guys. And I think that when you have elite-level guys, you have to call them go-to receivers. So I think it is important. I didn't think that you were going to say that, (laughs) but uh, I completely agree with you. I I really – thought you would, you know, lean toward the need for, for a number one to be established. That's probably the, you know, the, the consensus among most. Um, and I, I, I might have told you that myself at a different time. I'm going to run some numbers by you, or by everyone, I should say. Okay. Sam Darnold started 10 games last year, okay? Juju? led the team in catching in four of those 10 games. And then there were four different players 
that led the team in catching uh, over the course of the other games. Then, in those 10 games, Juju led them in, in yards five times, and then four other people led them in yards. And, and multiple times for some of them, right? But the point is, so while, while Juju was the number one, right, and he, he wasn't really the go-to guy, though, he, he just led them in receiving. But it's evident with Darnold that he, he, he naturally spreads it around. He finds open people. You know, that, he has such amazing anticipation. He sees the field really well. His timing is so good that it's really about, a lot of times, it's about the receiver. If they're executing, if they can get separation, if you're able to do that, then you're the go-to player on that play. It's not even about the game so much um, or the season, but it's about doing your job and, and winning that play. And if the receivers do that at a high level especially, then I think they're going to be fine. But I think it's more about the receivers uh, individually than it is about a receiver and their their dynamic with Darnold or Darnold being comfortable with the receiver. And so I, I guess that, that basically echoes the point that you made. Um, something that I, I stumbled upon in my research was that when Burnett became a starter, which was for the final five games of the year, from that point forward, he led the team in every category, in catches, yards, and touchdowns over the final five games. Now, we know that he wasn't the go-to receiver over the final month and a half, and yet he, he led them in all these categories because he's good, <laughs> and, and we knew that he was good, and once he got to play more, it was, it was evident. But with Darnold, it didn't matter. While Juju led the, the team for the entire year, and he led them most often, if you're counting games, Burnett became the most productive receiver once he became a starter. That was with Juju and Darius Rogers out there. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the what's more important here then is really going to be how how good can Deontay Burnett become? He's already good, but how much better can he can he become? And then how good is Michael Pittman and Jalen Green and like we talked about the freshmen, Trevon Sidney, Zayus Jones, Tyler Vaughn, Josh Imatorbebe, and then Joseph Lewis and Randall Grimes are going to be there in the fall. And receivers a position where we've seen time and time again that if you're good, they'll throw you out there. And, it, and you can produce right away. So I'm not as concerned about that position. 
I just don't know where it's coming from yet. Um, but uh, I think about them being elite, or whether they're elite. Um, we, we still have to see that from Deontay Burnett. But he looked like he could be. The way he played in the Rose Bowl and even really the way he played in over the final five games, that that's elite. he had elite production there. And so um, I... I have a feeling a lot of people don't think he can be elite. That maybe he this is the best he could be. Now he's, he's probably not going to do what he did in the Rose Bowl each week: thirteen catches and one hundred and fifty yards and three touchdowns. But he's a kid that's still nineteen years old and hasn't even been a full-time player yet. So. Let's not shortchange him either. Um, it's exciting. I think that this team is a very exciting one because there are so many possibilities. Um, they, it doesn't have all the stars right now that we knew about a year ago. Where you already knew that, you know, Juju was a star and Adore was a star, and, and even Ronald Jones, in some respects, after breaking the, the USC freshman rushing record. You knew that he was going to bring up being a star. And uh, with, with this team, I don't know yet. Uh, it's Sam Darnold, of course, but um, I think there's, there's another level for Ronald Jones as well. I mentioned him earlier, but I think there's definitely another level for him to get to. And then you have other running backs behind him who just haven't played, uh, but have been productive when they've gotten in there. And, um I think that the, the potential is real with this team. So um, it reminds me of uh, more of like a, a 2002 USC team. Um, we talked about that last year when they were going on their winning streak. And this year, a bit of an extension of that where I just feel like there's a lot of guys that just wait till they get in the field. And I think that we're going to see – a continuation of USC football, you know. Um, there's reason to believe that they're out of that that eight and four, that eight and four era that they were in post-sanction for some time, you know. I'm not ready to, to put them in the Final Four or the national title game, but um, it, it looks like like they're not an eight and four team. You know what I mean? They're not. I'd be surprised by that. They're not a team. I think they're building something where they're a regular, you know, consistent conference title winner. And it's not at least contender, but really just right there, you know, um, winning the South and uh, and playing for the Pac-12 title. All right. Yeah. Is that our show? That's our show. I, I think we've gone we've gone long enough here. Oh, totally. I remember when I was the host, too. <laughs> Me neither. I think the hosting duty is over for the end, though. Um, for Adam J. Meyer, our wonderful beat writer, who did such a great job uh, on this show and, and this week so far is spring practice, I'm Chris Swanson, the publisher of Trojansports.com. Make sure to you know tune into the show every week. Make sure to stay on the site. Make sure to give us all of your hard-earned money. 
uh, we'll gladly take it. All of it. And we want all, all of it. it. We'll take all of it, and in exchange, we'll give you some USC coverage. So send us a check for a million dollars anytime <laughs> you feel like it. Or uh, just sign up for an annual subscription or a monthly subscription. Uh, your choice, but we'll take the million if we have a choice. So, uh, again, for Adam Meyer, I'm Chris Swanson. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope to see you next week, maybe sooner, maybe later. Talk to you now.